welcome to MS Podcast. In today's podcast, so I've been stalking a few people, I must admit it. And I've been asking, uh, because I, I, I like to go on LinkedIn and connect with others, uh, entrepreneurs. And I my attention got caught for, uh, and her name is Nora Williams. And I got caught, I don't know why, but I have to be stalking Lenora again. I know I'm going to become the stalker of uh, in podcast world if that continues because I'm admitting a few people I've been stalking just to be able to have them to share their stories. Mm-hmm. But I'm looking at Lenora's uh, path. Um, she was a teacher and moved on from a system engineer, which is like, oh my goodness, then an owner for a consultant and CMS consultant computers, then went on to uh, the city of Oakland as uh, we're gonna go for the last one, which was the chief financial officer, officer and budget manager, which is amazing. Then a chief financial officer, director of finance consultant for Asian Americans for community involvement, then moved to chief financial officer for Richmond area multi services to finally become the CEO and president of Williams LL Associates and Partner LLC. What an incredible path. So, hi, Lenora. How are you doing today? I'm great. How are you? I'm good. I have goosebumps already. So, (laughs) it's very rare that I get goosebumps at the beginning. It is going to be a wonderful show. So, we're going to go back to you started your career as a teacher. Yes, yes, yes. I um, well, actually with some things, you know, you don't see on the resume. But yeah, I uh, actually started my career as a teacher um, and wanted to teach uh, young people uh, in elementary school. Mm-hmm. I thought that was good, but actually started in psychology. I really um, ended up with a degree in psychology as well and thought that I would work with young people around testing and that whole piece around, you know, we being judged on these standardized tests. Mm -hmm. And then how could I develop curriculum and be a teacher that would help people manage past that, young people manage past that to, to their own success without all of the testing being a block for them. Sometimes they'd be successful at it, sometimes they wouldn't. Yeah, but this is really forward thinking. I will not say which year it was, but this is very forward thinking because being able to do this just to help this young generation and finding the right fit for them to learn, it's mind-blowing to me. Um, I'm going to say that. So, (laughs) No, but that's true. You know, you're saying, you you just mentioned not everybody see a teacher on, you know, on a resume on LinkedIn. And I was said there should be more teacher because... it takes a lot for a teacher to be able to connect with a child and for you to be able to teach them something that's going to be valuable and that will be part of their skill sets. It takes an art to do that. Not everybody can do it. But for, for you to use psychology and to use all of this, it's, it's amazing. It's totally amazing to me. So I am sure the children you taught um, would be more grateful and I would like to know if any of them, you know what happened with them and how they grow. And if you ever had um, any one of them uh, coming to you later on and say, you really impacted my life, 
but I'm sure you impacted the life of young children. So this is amazing. That's that's probably why I started to get goosebumps. So now let me ask yeah, you. I, yeah, I would say that I didn't feel the impact. Um, I think you and I did a pre-meet on, on working for other people. <laughs> when I was teaching and you work within a structure, you have to operate within that structure. Uh, sometimes that works for you. Sometimes it works against you as in any career in life. You know, when someone's telling you when you need to teach, what curriculum you need to teach, yeah. what you need to teach from, mm -hmm. it doesn't always align with what you think needs to happen. And so I actually, years later with a friend, um, actually developed and owned a school together where we actually created our own curriculum and taught our children and many others within that curriculum because I wanted control over, you know, and what you students would learn. And, and it, it changed. And those students I talk with today, exactly. those students are college grads, some of them. And, mm -hmm. and yes, it's so meaningful to see the impact we had on their lives. Oh, because you adapted. And that's what I love is you adapted how and how to teach them and what to teach them as well. Not eh, this is what you do and that's it, which limiting you and the child basically that's putting the child at a disadvantage and so do you because it doesn't utilize all of what you can do for the children that's exactly. amazing exactly so, so I'm, yeah. curi mm -hmm. I'm curious to know how did you move from a teacher position to a system engineer <laughs> how that happened uh actually it was economics um while i was in school I was one of those non-traditionalists. I actually went to a community college and then transferred into a four-year college and then um, was on my way to UC Berkeley. And that's how I ended up in California because I'm really a native New Yorker. Um, but how that happened was I was testing myself uh, when they were giving me my standardized test. I realized I had both left and right side brain activity, right? So I really loved arts, I loved teaching, but I also loved numbers. Uh, one of the things my fallback has always been is that numbers are easy to deal with, but people are a little more difficult. And so it was easy for yes. me to decide to transition into <laughs> then go into the people side, uh, uh, the number <laughs> side of things, um, because yes. I've always had affinity towards math. Um, and minored in, in math classes and just loved it. It wasn't because I, I just wanted to major. I always loved math and numbers. Mm -hmm. So it was easy for me when things weren't working out. I actually was trying to go to UC Berkeley. When I came into California, I was actually enrolling into their psychology, their graduate psychology program. But it was such a culture shock for me coming from New York to California and then to Berkeley that um, I just couldn't see psychology the same way. <laughs> professors asking, and at that point I was doing research uh, at uh, Stony Brook University. I was really preparing to be a researcher and really start to study what I was telling you about testing. Yes. Um, but when I got there, they were asking me about my psychosis and how did it fit into uh, my wanting to be a psychologist and I, I just, and the environment itself was, you know, people were doing things that were so different from yep. the conservative New York side of me that I just, I, I just knew I needed to change fields. It wasn't going to work for me. 
<laughs> and, the, and the fact that I wasn't making any money teaching. Yeah. When I moved to California, I had to have two jobs in order to afford my apartment. Mm-hmm. So I was teaching and then being a phone operator at night. But I was literally working about 12 to 18 hours <laughs> trying to sustain teaching. That and going to school as well. I just wow. knew I needed a career change. And yes. so I went back to school. I actually uh, went into a certificate program in San Francisco that taught um, systems engineering. And wow. I spent um, time there until I got my certificate and I learned I became a coder. I was mm-hmm. actually writing code um, for um, microcomputers mm-hmm. and, and the more macro computers. And wow. so um, it was easy for me to transition because that was the side that I loved doing anyway. So coding was easy. Um, and when I did that, then I got a job in Silicon Valley and went on from there. And just, of course, I tripled my income. <laughs> I was like, oh, I'm really happy now. <laughs> and I'm with numbers. I had to deal with too many other things other than sitting in a room and writing code and developing code. So I was developing code at that time for financial systems, for backup systems, all of that. And it just fit right naturally into that finance side of me. That is that. That is awesome. Yeah. So when you uh, when you started to work for the city of Oakland, you had a very interesting path as well because you were still a computer engineer, system analyst, and you moved to become the chief administrator, to become mm-hmm. the chief financial officer. Budget. Yes. When I started with them, I was not that. Actually, what happened? I um, this is how journeys happen in our lives. I met my husband. Um, and I was really trying to figure out whether I wanted to stay in the career path of education or engineering. Um, and I was thinking about, you know, my father had already always convinced me that I had a brain of an attorney and that I should go to law school. Um, I was was (laughs) talking to a friend of mine. I was like, you know, maybe I should apply to law school. So I was going to Hastings to, to an event and met this, um, man there that was like helping people get into the school, helping you write your letters of introduction. And so I was going to meet him and he had the biggest smile. I was like, oh, and he ended up becoming my husband. So then at fast forward, we had children. I'm like, okay. And the company that I was working for in Silicon Valley actually went belly up. And the mm-hmm. reason why I created a business at that time was because they left all of these clients And I was supporting some of those clients in my work because I had evolved from just being in the room with other engineers Mm -hmm. to actually writing uh, training materials, my teaching side, writing um, cheat sheets, if you would, from all of the code books that we Mm -hmm. wrote. I would simplify it in a way that I would then go out and train others on how to use the software in a most simple way. Mm -hmm. And so I was doing that and had um, meetings with people throughout the United States. And I, in doing that, when the company was folding, I just took on some of those clients and developed my own business. And And so that's where CMS came from. Computers Made Simple was the name of the company. I like the name Uh, actually. Yeah, it was was wonderful. I loved it. Except for then I started having children. I was like, oh, I can't just be traveling all over with with babies, right? but always thinking I could be a superwoman. Now as a teacher, mm-hmm. I can manage children. Um, 
but I found that more difficult to do. And then uh, was talking to a person. This is how connections work. Mm-hmm. Um, it was actually a person in my church, and I was saying to him, "You work for the city. I would like to have a contract with the city. I have my own business, and you know, I could have a contract with the city." They needed someone then at that time to to help them with their um, youth programs, with their uh, economics. It was actually the Department of Economics and um, Youth Services, weird combination. But um, the the side of the economics was we're doing stuff where we're building new structures in the city. We want to look at, you know, this, what does this look like over time? Can you help us build uh, scenarios that, that show us how we can trend this out through numbers. And then at the same time, they had the youth division, where they're trying to develop more and more grants for it. Can you help us support the grants by writing budgets for us and doing those things? So I was actually, it was all of the things that I, combination of things I knew, but I wanted it as a consulting contract. They wanted to hire me. And then I looked at all the health benefits. I was like, oh, maybe I should do this since I have children now. Need to cover them with health benefits. And my husband, who I married, had now graduated from law school and he was trying to open his own firm. Mm -hmm. So I was like, both of us cannot be entrepreneurs with with children. So we have to, somebody has to be solidify something. Mm -hmm. So uh, in, in doing that with the city, I always knew that I had more to offer. Um, so I would just keep applying for other jobs, you know, more, uh, they were looking for a budget analyst, someone who knew systems, new financial structures. And I would apply and, you know, end up ultimately getting the job and then start working from there and then, um, nice. and then keep moving up. <laughs> it's kept moving yes. up. Uh, because I, I was able to do the things they needed. Mm-hmm. And um, the title was just a title, but it actually fit all the things. It encompassed my training as a teacher. Mm -hmm. It encompassed my systems analyst work because I was developing those kinds of systems anyway. And then I already had work experience within the city because I was developing those systems and creating those kinds of financial scenarios for the Mm -hmm. Department of Economics. And the youth services, I had already started writing grants and budgets, and I already knew the city system. So actually, I became <laughs> yeah. that person that was really this one of these city experts on budget and financial structures. And so then they were talking about, well, we want to acquire uh, property. We need to write this. You know, as we go out and think about this, we need to write the fiscal impact statements. So I was the person that was writing those things along with consultants to get those things before I knew it I was managing a 60 million dollar operating budget and a 90 million dollar capital improvement package that was growing Um, but even in that work one of the things I I kept saying to myself even as a private owner is that I I don't feel I feel like I'm making money I was making money and my family you know I had my all of my children in private schools and we were doing well as a family but I didn't feel like I was adding value to anything. It's like, you know, even in, when I was working in Silicon Valley, I was making a lot of money, but I didn't see the value was given back to people. So that other side kept creeping back inside of me, like that heartfelt, got to do community, got to yes. do something, give back. Yep. Um, and that's yep. when I decided uh, when I left the city is that um, I had started building a client base at that time because even in the city, I was running all of their Head Start centers, doing all of their budgets for that, and all of their um, financials for their Head Start centers, which they were over a dozen. 
And then the same thing for the recreation centers. There was over 20 I was doing, and they were all independent doing the budgets for that. In addition to the capital projects that we were doing for open space and building new uh, community centers and just the operating budget itself. And we had then, um, we had senior centers, we had youth programs, we had community programs, we had parks programs, we had all of those things you can think of. Mm -hmm. I was um, managing all of the finances for that. And so I just decided at that point when I left the city that I would do it as an independent. Now my children were a little older. Uh, now they were uh, you know, elementary school, middle school, and yeah. I could do more as, a, as that entrepreneur I love to be. Mm -hmm. and started working with nonprofits and never stopped doing the same thing, lending that whole financial structure and sustainability to nonprofits, but not just one, but many. And then I expanded globally as well. That's amazing. That's amazing to see the journey you have done and all of the skill set, everything you have learned and you're using every single side of it from the teacher side to the engineer to the financial side to everything it's mm -hmm. it's amazing to see how uh, a journey can unfold because people don't realize you know you, i was said you reach your goal because i was non-profit and i was doing your uh, own uh leadership and being an entrepreneurs with all of the skill set but you needed to learn all of the skill set and you learn it in different position and to gather all of that Maybe people at that time were thinking, okay, she moves as a teacher and she's now in general doing coding and now she's doing this and she's in the finance and she's writing grants and she's doing this. And people are probably like, okay, but that, that sounds a very odd journey. But when you're looking now, stepping back, it's like, no, you were gathering all information and your skill set you needed for what you're doing today. So yeah. When you moved out of the, when, when you left the city of uh, Oakland, did you ever thought to do a nonprofit or work for a nonprofit right away? Or were you just looking at, okay, I'm going to do that for profits and I'll be just fine. Oh, where were your heart uh, at that point? So, you know, within the city, even working with Head Start centers and community centers, they were going after funding. Most of that funding was government funding. And the government, the way it works, um, HUD and all of the other agencies within the government, they're very complex in how they want you to write the grants for them. And then once yeah. you receive the funds, it's very complex in how you have to report out to them and yep. spend down the funds. So I, I really became an expert at that as well. And I actually got a contract with the government to be a consultant to those people receiving those kinds of funds to support them like being the mid person that could support training them on how to write the budget, how to stay within the, manage within the budget. What are some of the things like an internal auditor for them yeah. to make sure that they, they mapped it out correctly and could be, could be sustainable mm -hmm. and not have to return funds or receive penalties or be non-compliant. Really what I became is more of a compliance person for them. So that was my introduction to nonprofits. Um, and in that introduction, I met a lot of nonprofits because uh, they were receiving that kind of funding and I was doing the testing, internal testing, not an external, but an internal tester for the government and how well they were mapping it out using them. So I think at that point I knew I didn't wanna settle for one nonprofit, but I wanted to be able to help multiple nonprofits 
because this, the thing that I kept seeing every time I touched a nonprofit or worked with one is that they all had skill sets, financial um, pieces that were missing for them. And they were hiring consultants, but the consultants they would hire could only do a certain set of data for them because they didn't have the funds to pay them to do more. But every time you go in, of course, you could do it one piece and you find the other pieces are not working. So I think what I decided to do was not just work for multiple nonprofits. I actually built a website that teaches people how to do these things. I was actually blogging about different things. If you go to my website, you'll see I talk about how do you start a nonprofit? How do you build budgets? What a, a good budget look like? What are the 10 steps for understanding compliance? How do you know that? How do you stay yeah. out of trouble with this? How do you know what the dates are in which you need to yeah. file your, your taxes? When you file your taxes, what are the levels you should be following? Mm -hmm. And then I started dealing with all of the issues. How do I build a collaboration? How do I do mergers? How do I do this? And then people like you <laughs> were actually looking through you know, LinkedIn and other places and mm -hmm. they found me. And they yep. would say, you know, I really need a, a CFO to come in mm -hmm. and just be an interim. They would yep. lose their CFO yep. for some reason. They would walk away and yep. they would need somebody to tie them over, mm -hmm. be a bridge. And yep. so that's how I started working with a company like uh, Asian Americans for Community Involvement. What's missing in that resume is there's a whole slew of others that I've worked sure with is. in conjunction with working with them. <laughs> but I listed them because I thought that it's a good look at what the kind of work I do. Mm -hmm. There again, I was their CFO, interim CFO. And I thought that I would just do that job for a year. It turned out four years. And I was like, uh, but they gave me other clients. And so I wasn't just working with them. I was actually working with a consortium around them, other health centers around them to support them while I was working with them. So I was always Williams LL Associates and Partners. I, that business has been in existence for the last 20 years. It was That's just amazing. all of the main clients I had that I list on LinkedIn. Um, but there's so many others. To me, it's amazing because a lot of like you have learned to navigate, especially when we're talking grants, uh, even for profits as well, profit or nonprofit, you really need to know how to write them. You need to know how to navigate. A lot of people don't know it. It takes an education to just understand because it's, it's like, oh, it's free money. No, 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 it's not for money, it's tied to some um, through your um, through your grant and you, you have to follow what you're supposed to do. You cannot just go to him, go in Vegas on vacation, that's not happening this way. You have to use it for the purpose it's supposed to be. But even writing a grant, a lot of people don't know how and the complexity as well. So when looking at grants, having someone like you who has expertise has helped thousands and thousands of nonprofit and benefits the community is amazing because it's, you know, not everybody knows that world and it's a very complicated, cumbersome uh, world. But I'm curious to know, because you mentioned that the, so they hire you, the government hire you to be the middle woman, quote unquote, the bridge. But did they heard the feedback or did you provide them with feedback on how to improve their processes? Because it's easy to just say, okay, you're going to be the middle, you're going to be the, the bridge and you're going to help them. But did they at least took some feedback from you? Because, you know, it's not that easy. They don't make it easy. No, they don't. 
And I, the one thing the government does is it's to me, it's, I describe it as um, you, if you have a man-made lake and you put an old ship, a large ship, a sea you know, bearing ship uh, in the middle of that lake, and then you ask it to turn, okay. it takes all kinds of things to get that ship to turn. Yes. And depending on the dimensions of the lake um, mm-hmm. and, and how deep, how wide, all of those mm-hmm. things. But that ship has to still stay uh, on afloat. Yes. And so the management of that, to me, is the way government is set up. It's set up to be this massive structure mm-hmm. of systems that is trying to support community in, yes. in terms of giving out these dollars, but has no idea how to make itself relevant. And when it tries, it, it builds new systems that are even more complex than the old ones. But they do turn, the ship does turn, and sometimes it makes it a 60 degree turn, a 90 degree turn, but never 360 degrees turn. Exactly. That takes years before you'll see that kind of change. It, so it does. So the that's answer right. to your question is, yeah, they can hear me, um, but I think what happened for me wasn't getting them to hear me, was but was trying to, and, and as a result of what I'm about to say, was trying to get nonprofits to understand that you have to understand the game and the requirements, and then you're going to be better at not just using those funds, but expanding on the amount of funds you can receive. Because once they see that you do well with this, then others want to give you more money. Because the fear of any foundation, government agency, whoever's giving money to nonprofits, is that they're not going to use it well. And that it'll be spent uh, recklessly, or it'll be spent in administration, staffing, but they won't see the end user receiving the services that they started out trying to impact. So I think it's really about trying to teach nonprofits compliance. Um, What does compliance look like? And it is not this so rigid system as it is a system that you really have to acknowledge exists. It's like one plus one is two all day. And if we do math, we're gonna do math the same way any day. It's still gonna, same math, even though we've tried to change all these things, same math, right? The same thing has to happen for us to understand that so that we can manage ourselves well and then support community well. So I found that it's the opposite. I'm not trying to change government more than I'm trying to create a clear and clean understanding on the receiver side, which is the nonprofit side. Yeah, I think it would be difficult and you can spend, I think your lifetime to try to change the government, it would be difficult to do that. But I hope they took some of your insight and made maybe some changes that needed to be done uh, internally, that's what I'm looking at, actually. Not much, you know, you know what I mean? It's I would like love to say, things. yes, I did that, but I, I cannot <laughs> take credit for that. I can say that there's some forms that I saw and I said, oh, I think you need to adjust this forms, and they did. But I can't take overall credit for anything that they did that I can tell you that I feel, oh, they're doing it so much better today than they did when I was there. Um, I mean, I see lots of changes. I see them trying but I, I see that it also creates new challenges as well. Mm-hmm. There's always an impact. So, so you're basically uh, when, okay, first, first of all, 
you're doing it. So you were doing it in the West Coast. Now you're doing it all across the U.S. and internationally, or it's just nationwide? So uh, what happens is I, um, so I have to tell you the other side of me, right? I am also, (laughs) (laughs) I am a United Nations Association director. Why am I that? Because again, I didn't want to see my, um, I, I always ask myself my, the question is how can I add value and where are the services needed the most and are there enough structures in place to provide those services through the nonprofit world or NGO world. Um, women's issues are a big issue for me. Mm-hmm. And so I actually have been a delegate at the United Nations Women's Conference for two, three years in a row, uh, talking about working with trying to help develop uh, NGOs, which are non-governmental agencies, nonprofits outside of the United States, develop good programs to support um, women and girls. And so in being in the United Nations and having those conversations, it exposed me to a lot of countries who needed support. And yes, those, those, those uh, connections that I made there allowed me to go to places like Uganda places like uh, uh, Uganda, Ghana, Ivory Coast, uh, Nigeria, um, London, England, different parts of England, developing programs on and, and on to Italy and other places like that. I am also um, or the former president of a Rotary Club and Rotary is also international. Wow. So all of that to bring about programming for me to give back and reach back globally, worldwide, not just in the United States and doing it in the state that I live in. So the answer to that question is yes, I, I now work with programs outside, but of course COVID kind of curtailed that a little bit, yes. but still Zoom calling and still mm-hmm. now starting to go back. We'll be in Nigeria actually in uh, November for three months. Um, And then in Uganda again, just working on programs. Um, But locally, I I still work with nonprofits locally who are doing work in communities that are impacting communities in a big way. I just uh, left a position uh, with Common Future, which is a, a wonderful nonprofit that is really supporting the, the, financial infrastructure, if I could say that well, in communities by giving, infusing dollars and education into those communities and supporting them with things like no interest loans to help them build their business and community structure in different aspects. So I look and love those kinds of nonprofits that I can support um, with financial infrastructure, with my entrepreneurial side, which is I want to develop systems that are not just for today, but for five years from now. And I want to make sure that they're compliant and that they're functional and that they're really going to reach community in a good way. So that's a long-winded answer to, I I work where the need is and I want to see the value. Now I want to do more work on microloans in communities that are African communities because I see a need. I'm also working with sickle cell anemia because that's a big issue 
that hasn't been touched. I also work with Stanford on African-American women with breast cancer and how do we get the word out in advocacy. So my scope is very broad. Yes. But it's because the end of the day for me is about giving value and building success in my communities, in BIPOC communities. And it's the need that it needs to be done. So because mm-hmm. you've got the capability, the skill set, and you, I'm sure, finding the resources and the way to innovate and being able to do that, that's how you're expanding, which I love because it's like it's a big array, a big portfolio, but it has a purpose. And the purpose is to make a positive impact into the community and helping communities, as you said, with an S at the end. So that's yeah. wonderful. And being able to do it at the international stage is even better. It's rewarding to see that you can leave a legacy, a footprint, a beginning of a change that it will be taken uh, by others to even make it better. It's just the beginning. It's wonderful. Yeah. So it's, it's, yeah, it's beautiful to see. It's and beautiful feel. to see. So if you look back, what would you say to your young self as a teacher? <laughs> If I would you had say, to say something. I would say, you know, there's no better thrill in life than to see a young child's eyes open when they finally get like the light bulb goes off and they realize it's not as hard as they thought it was. It's like I used to hear, Miss Lenore, Miss Lenore, look, I got it. I got it. I can do it. And I thought to myself, this, you know, that kind of gratitude that you see in young people when mm-hmm. they get it. It's the same thing I feel when I'm working with, uh, I fast forward into people who are younger than me that are just starting out. When the light bulb goes off for them, it's no more, no bigger gratitude. Mm -hmm. I I would love as I, my next journey is to, to be in the college setting and teaching about what are the best practices and the best ways to deal with nonprofits and it's different infrastructure needs. Mm-hmm. and making sure that it can really be imparted in a way that is something that's implementable, not just textbook, but that, that they could actually take that education and go into the communities and do the work. And that would be great because I've seen too many people who have been, have done the school in high level, but they are incapable to implement because it's based on a book, not on real life. And that's a huge difference. So that would be wonderful. Like you did at the beginning where you were looking for solution to how to teach children and how to connect and really give them and pass it on a message so they can continue to, you know, you don't want them to be defeated when at the end of the day, they can learn the way the system wants, but if they allow you to do something slightly different that will make an impact positively, that's great because you mentioned actually at the beginning of the conversation, you opened a school or did you help a school? So can you talk more about it? <laughs> uh, that's, that is an interesting story. I think um, if I had to look back on that, I would say the one thing that it probably cost me was my marriage my first match. But um, my friend and I, we were both uh, in the same religion. I am a Muslim woman. We're in the same religion and we were going back and forth with our children. And there were things that were bothering us. Like my daughter, uh, my adopted daughter came home from school 
and she was in a private school setting and um, she had all A's on her report card. But when she was tested for reading skills and she was already in the second grade, she could not read. I was like, how is it possible that this is a straight A student that can't read? And how did I miss that as a parent? So it bothered me. And my, my, my uh, colleague had the same problem with her children in different school settings. And then we tried to put our children in other private school settings. And we realized that they had a good reputation, but they weren't used to dealing with BIPOC children. Um, so it was interesting because they weren't really teaching them. They were just putting them to the side and letting them sit while we were paying the tuitions. Oh, wow. So I think both of us being educated people said, we got to do something different. So mm -hmm. we actually spent weekends every weekend, every Saturday, we would meet developing a business plan for this school. But what we call it, it was called Alhambra. Alhambra, because if you remember Alhambra in Spain, it had all mm -hmm. the different cultures come together. If you do the story of Alhambra, all cultures from all over come together and they work together as one yeah. community. And then we want it not to be just about culture, but we want it to be about science as well. How can we get children to understand that science is not as complex as you think it is, but it's everyday nature. Um, so we started working with um, UC Berkeley um, and it's a science lab. Mm -hmm. And we started working uh, with other um, cultural <coughs> programs throughout. And we developed a curriculum that we would have, everything was exposure and hands-on. Nice. So we would have people come in from um, Taiwan and they would teach them the culture, they would make mm -hmm. the food, they would teach them how to cook, they would teach them the language, and we went on and on. Or if we wanted to do something in science, they were making volcanoes with their hands. We had incubators um, for chicks, for eggs, where they would watch the eggs hatch. So it was really just like, how can we give them exposure and hands-on learning? Those fast forward, those students now are, some of them are college age and, and on, and they still talk to me about the education that they received. But uh, my partner uh, passed away from cancer, but, um, and we ended the school, of course, I, I, with all the things I was doing, I could not hold that school. And I tried to find other people, but it just didn't work. But it was a good 10 to 12 year reign which was wonderful. We got to do it our way, which is different when you're teaching in somebody else's school. We're with you, but at least they learn. The difference is when you can see from the, the way they're supposed to be teaching to the way you did and adapted it to it, they were more interested. Children were more in, they learned more and faster actually than the traditional way. I don't want to be mean to the traditional way, but <laughs> you know, if it's sterile, we need to move it up to somewhere the children can adapt uh, and learn. Because at the end of the day, it doesn't matter how many kids you get in a school or in a class, but if you don't impact all of them, what's the point? Exactly. You know, because you want you want. It's what I said earlier. You asked me if I had to go back to teaching or at, express um, something from yep. that day. It's it's the it's the, the look in their faces when they get it. Mm -hmm. It's the look in their faces when they're exploring and they're learning at the same time. You know, mm -hmm. it's, it's amazing the, the, mm -hmm. the, the power we have 
to educate young people is just amazing. And, and if we do it well, they can be really good stewards of, exactly. of our, our environment, our community, Absolutely. and our world. Yeah. I agree. I agree. I get again some goosebumps. I agree with you because you show them they are limitless. That's the difference. I said it and I, I will say it again. Uh, leadership and um, I don't remember which one it is, but one of them, I said leadership should be taught at school mm -hmm. at a very young age because mm -hmm. children's like us, have an imagination that is incredible. But because of the environment where we grow up, some can have um, uh, the ability and the capability to work in an environment where there's creativity. But most of us are not that environment. It was not what we had. So it kind of, you know, close off a child. Now, putting them in a setting and I've been in that situation actually as a kid where you, you feel like an outsider or an adult because you cannot learn or you have some difficulties or it doesn't translate very well because it's too, too much of a sterile environment that doesn't allow the teacher to connect properly because they have to learn this way and this way and that's it. It limits a child that could have a bright future um, to something else. So it changed their trajectory. But being able for you to have done that for a decade, which I think it's amazing, you have changed the life of a lot of children who now have um, that mindset of, I am, I am who I am and I can break that glass ceiling without a problem because I can do whatever I want if I focus on it. And that makes a huge difference in the life of a child. So I wished the system somehow would provide the right resources for the teacher to be able to connect properly with children. So not half of it can feel disconnected and not learn properly. We don't learn all the same ways. We don't connect the same way. So I wish mm -hmm. we had that. Uh, for me, learning when I was a kid, uh, I don't know, I think I said it. I refuse to learn to read and read. I refused. And that's mm. my teacher, my sister who taught me because hmm. I didn't want it to learn. And yeah. at school, I would not do the bare minimum because I was bored and I didn't want to do it. However, when I moved as a, a teenager and later on, I was 16, 17 years old, I was sucking with people and I came across a book. And that book changed my life. And I started to read and I started to really get into the, the the meat of what I wanted to learn about history, things that really interested me because in school, I was bored. There were nothing to get my attention enough for me to, uh, to really thrive on all of this. So having the capability for somebody, so that's why I relate to what you're saying because having the capability and you saw it as a teacher, which is amazing at the beginning of your career, how many people will say, well, let me think, how can I change it? How can I do this? You said you were way ahead of everybody. I'm sure, I probably think you were, oh, she's crazy as a teacher. She's just doing something crazy. But the craziness is not, you was right for the children and you made it happen later on. This is what I love. It's like, you did not give up and say, no, you realized something was wrong with 
uh, your child and she couldn't learn reading and realize what was actually going on in school. I wished that we would have that solution. I wish that what you have done could have been implemented and it probably will now we're talking. I'm not surprised it will be or it's gonna be or it is. Let's talk in the present tense, not future. Yes. Just too far. <laughs> This the part is like it's happening now, yes. right? We are yes. not. I always teach yes. people do not speak in future tense, so we're not. We're pretty, it's happening now, and and yeah. children can learn because the the educational system doesn't. It's too rigid, and it needs. We need to connect. The teacher should be able to connect better, and that's the key, because that's for the next generation. Or the children are going to learn later on and being able to do things but way later on in their life or they're going to feel they're missing something mm -hmm. so but that's wonderful you have such an amazing journey it's it's unbelievable what you have done and even though you're working you're working with nonprofits, you're still giving back to the community you're still involved in a teaching part of it and all of your skill sets are still there and you're thriving so what's next for you and your uh, company? Well, you know, I was, uh, I actually created app, an app for nonprofits on how to create your own nonprofit. Um, and now I'll release that in, uh, by the end of the year. Um, I write, I'm writing books on how to um, do these things um, because I still think nonprofits suffer from finances, like the finances yes. and the time to sit down and learn how to do something well. And I do think the piece of internal auditing, like somebody coming in before the government comes in, before you yep. have to have the external audit because you're required, that yep. goes in and reviews what you have as a structure and helps you reset to what it should be and still allow you to get the work done, to have your mission and value occur. It's, 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 I think that's, insurmountable you need that and if i can teach about it i can write about it if i can expose it now i go into different ones who contract with me and i may go there for a year and then i'll still work with others like now i have about 20 clients even though i may have one that's my main client but i can't get to all of them and that's why i decided i have to write about it to blog about it i have to so create apps about it so that's and then also I, lastly is like I said, I want to teach at the university. I would love to be an adjunct professor. I will complete uh, my, my I, have to, I had an unaccredited master's. So I need to go back and fix that in my PhD so that I can really be represented and teach this stuff to others because I think it's not just the youth. I'm concerned about this next generation, the 20, to 40 year olds who want to answer the question, yes. how did you yes. do this? Yep. And how they want to give back. Like it would be so mm -hmm. nice to teach something practical that yes. they could implement and go and do because I want to see that light shine as well in them about yes. how this gets done, this work gets done. Have you ever thought to do some online platform e-learning classes? Mm-hmm. Okay. Is it in the uh, making too? You know, I right now what I'm doing is I do videos, little short videos. Yep. But I want to do the online classes, but I'm really trying to build up like a, my audience as well. So people get to know I exist so that these classes can get out there in different ways. 
I'm not sure how I have to work on my marketing skills. I'm not the best marketing person. I have interns that work with me and I have an, uh, two assistants I have to acknowledge. I have people who work with me to help me get the work done. So I, I keep trying to reinvent in the areas that I know I need more support so that the voice and the word gets out. Because what if you only have two listeners, I mean, yes, it does impact, but I would like to see it impact more and that mm-hmm. it really be something. And I don't want to make it so heavy in cost that people can't afford to do. No, you, That's you the want other to make thing. it practical. Yes. It has to be practical. Yeah, you could um, do two. Actually, you could do, uh, maybe I'm infusing this. You could do two class. You could do, you could do the really expert level where it's heavy duty and you can do the lighter one for businesses because the heavy duty will be maybe for teaching it for people mm-hmm. to being able to, what you're doing, being mm-hmm. able for them to do the same which would be great. And yeah. you can do the, yeah. I like that idea. I had to I know. Drop that. Thank you. That's what, I'm, that's what I'm dropping this one. I was just giving you. <laughs> I like these nuggets you're dropping. I'm like, yeah, okay, I can do that. You're, yes. you're stimulating me to think, okay, yeah, I need to get because that done. There's yeah. only one of you, mm-hmm. all right? Now, I would not want my brain to be moved somewhere and forever. Forget it. Yes, but we are not in your mind. We don't have your brain. We need to know and we need to take it away so somebody can do what you're doing as well because you have so much a wealth of knowledge and know-how. But you get, teaching it to like me or anybody, a nonprofit would be great. But you, you need also to think, of, well, I need people to do the same thing I do. So I need to pass it down. You know what I mean? It's like um, talking about Italian, please say fortuni, or um, oh, I forgot for the violin. Uh, I forgot the the name of the the one who, who does expensive violin. Um, I forgot the word, the, his name. But they they have um, their secrets. Yes. Yes. You know what I mean? Those very yes. expensive million dollar, the billion dollar at this point. I don't even say it's million. Um, uh, I, I have the word, but there is another word that comes in the middle. I'm like, no, I'm not going to say that word because that's not the proper name. It will come later on. But they die with their secret. They had the secret on how to make those violin. Nobody can reproduce. And they looked at it. They've been working on it, trying to figure it out. Plissé, Fortuny. Fortuny created a plissé that on the, on the clauses that nobody can reproduce. Mm-hmm. And he passed away with his secret. So we, we cannot have this. We cannot have your knowledge going with you. We need the knowledge to stay. So people to, to actually learn it and being able to do what you're doing as well. That's, I think to me, is the key as well because your e-learning platform would be great, but you need the people, you need to train people as well to do it because you're one person, like you said, you're one person. So I'm just one, yeah. Yes. Yeah, but making it scalable, like you're saying, is very important to me. That's where I'm at. It's like, okay, I need to get into universities. I need to be an actor. I need to, I like what you're saying, create an e-platform, one that's instructional um, to a higher level. And then one that's really about everyday nonprofits trying to figure out how do they tackle these things successfully. And you so, can do yeah. and short videos, five, five, not even 10 minutes, five to eight minutes, not even 10 minutes. It's digestible for people to look at it and say, okay, this week we're going to work on this. Or 
and have like a, a PDF or something where people have notes and stuff like that so they will remember. Mm -hmm. I that like will it. Be very, I oh, and I love, you know, that's up my alley too, because, you know, I love writing, I love summarizing things in, in short form. That's, that's exactly, um, you know, like being that systems person, can I teach you how yes. to do this without you looking through that 500 page manual yep. and, uh, and making it so succinct that people were able to just like, oh, oh, okay, I can do this. And so, yes, you are so encouraging. Thank you for this. Oh, I'm okay. That's something that's the universe. Thanks to the universe. I always give messages. That's what I do. I pass messages <laughs> through the, the universe passes through me at all times. So, but that's, that's what they're saying. So that's why I'm like, yeah, you should be doing this and this. And mm -hmm. yes, those are the instructions because even doing the videos, it's nice, very nice because at least I put it into context. But when you get that cheat sheet afterwards, it's like, okay, let me go back to the notes and look at it. Yeah, I like, I didn't think about the cheat sheet right after, you know, and, and yes, I like the idea of creating that structure. I'm going to start working on that because well, I want good. people loves to implement, you know, for me, it's not good enough to just hear. Exactly. You have to do. You have to and, do. And, I, and I think for expertise, it just should be passing a test at the end to ensure that whatever they have learned from you, they're capable to do it. Otherwise, they should not. But that's another thing, too. So I believe that mm -hmm. for those experts, because um, that should be what they learn. Like I've done it for some of the classic, the, the tests and things I've done in the past, too. It's like, OK, I want to learn to do this. And I'm like, OK, now we go through the process. You learn it. And you pass your test. It's like, great, yes. I got it. Ah, I, like I know. Learn it, pass your test. You know, exactly. um, I was uh, I was at um, a Rotary International Conference, and you know, we were talking about some things. And one of the presenters said, "You know, I love Nike when it says just do it." Yes. But then they had T-shirts that said "Just did it." <laughs> I was like, I love that. I was like, I am adopting that. I yes. am really adopting that. Yes. No, I'm not going to just sit in one place and just. Yep be stuck forever no mm -hmm. that's okay <laughs> but just I did just, it I love it. I just did it yeah you know I love that commercial I love they were always inspiring um that was not Florence Joyner that was her sister-in-law that was on the top of one of the you know those um I don't know what you call it in a in a Grand Canyon on the top of one of those uh mount of whatever it's not a mountain but on mm -hmm. her own and it was that just do it. It was beautiful. This to me was inspiring. See, that's what I'm saying. You, it's not, but we have to take it to the next level. It's not yes. just do it. It's just did it. That was Jackie Joyner. I, yes. I love both of them. I love, to me, they were a great inspiration in the sports, but it was amazing. And look at it. The view was breathtaking and you could see her on it top and everything was so small around but he was just I don't know it was very powerful it did not didn't need it anything than just do it and that was it that wow. was amazing so for me this is powerful oh it is it is it is we take these things we have um I'm a very spiritual person I believe that we're on a journey for a reason that yes. each of us have a mission and a yes. purpose I I acknowledge my purpose I know it um, and I know that I have to get the work done. And so every time I talk to people like you who give me another nugget, I go, okay, mm -hmm. I was supposed to be here to hear that, to do it. Yep. 
and make sure that that happens. Because you're right, we leave and then there's no legacy for how this exactly. should happen. Yeah. And and there's and we're not we can duplicate ourselves if we're if we're smart. But if we're selfish, we stay in this one little circle and say, oh, this is about making money. But it's never been about that for me. It's always been about how can I add value to this world that's going to make a difference for others? Because, you know, when we're gone, the money doesn't go with us. The legacy, however, will help mankind. Yes. That's what it's all about. And having money, great. No, that's great. I have nothing against money. But think about it, people. If you're only there for the money, at the end of the day, you're not going with it. You're just, your spirit goes back home. That's it. However, your legacy lives beyond you. And you can see it. I'm going to take a very simple example of Steve Jobs. His legacy for Apple is still live on and will continue because he left something that impacted the world and helped technology-wise. So for you, it would be the same thing at the level of nonprofits and helping communities. This is what is beautiful. This is why it's so empowering. It's what is my legacy? And uh, that was my friend Kamahana actually uh, when he was in trouble many, many years ago and uh, said to me, he created a list because somebody told him, so you're going to write your eulogy and tell me what you're going to write down. So he had to write his eulogy. And when he started, he looked at it, he had nothing to write. And it's, that made him think, what is my legacy? Mm-hmm. And that helped him to turn around because he was in a very, very bad trouble. And that helped him to turn around. When he created a list and now he lives on because he has accomplished a lot of things because he thought about, what is my legacy? What am I leaving behind? Yeah. When you start to think this way, then you start to see the world a different way. It doesn't mean you have to leave four under a bridge, but he has to say, what is my legacy? What am I doing as a footprint here that I can help mankind? I agree. And, you know, I read something uh, from Steve Jobs as he was dying. He said, you know, the one thing I wish I understood is that my money couldn't bring back my help. Um, and with that, I think what I took away from that is we, we need, all of us would love to live a comfortable life. I want to live a comfortable life. I want enough money to live comfortably. I never have to worry. Let it be a chauffeur so I don't have to drive every day. Me too. But, um, nice. <laughs> but uh, you know, it's back to the value of your statement. Yeah. It's not about the money at the end mm-hmm. of the day. It's yeah. about what is your footprint. Yes. And you're right. He left a footprint that's yep. with us way beyond his living. Yeah. But did he live a quality life at the same time? Exactly. Uh, he lived in isolation. He didn't feel like he lived his life fully. So I want to try to find balance in all of it. Yes. But I definitely want the footprint more than mm-hmm. anything. The exactly. footprint. Exactly. Because you're leaving a legacy. That would be a waste of your mind to mm-hmm. just not leave that legacy for people to take it up to then bring it to the next level because we are just only building by uh, stages. So what we're setting up today, somebody's going to pick it up and elevate to the next level. So we need to stop, we need the, the foundation to start somewhere. And that's why. So that's why when I'm hearing great minds like yours, I'm like, we need you <laughs> to extract all that information. We want it, we want it, we want it because that's helping. It's not like 
No, it's not a waste of time. It's helping the community. So that's why it's so beautiful. So I am so happy. So I'm so happy you um you accepted my invitation. I know why I needed to come to, to, to you. <laughs> you know, as I said, I stalk people because I'm like, I don't share. I'm like, yeah, yeah, I want to talk to you because there is something you need to share with uh -huh. the rest of the world. And I am so humbled you accepted my invitation today. It's such an amazing conversation. I would like, because you're going to be launching new things uh, close to your end, I would like to have another episode later on. Uh, I don't know where you're going to be because you say you're going to be, are you going to be traveling at the end of the year or what is your schedule? At the end of the year, but you know, I always set up remote systems where I can okay, communicate because I communicate with everybody no matter where cool. I am. So we can still communicate. Just yes. let me know when. I, yes. I feel honored. I I don't know why I accept it. I usually am so busy. No. And I say no, I <laughs> you know, you and then I, thought, no. I was like, you know, <laughs> if you are saying that you want to say something to the world and mm -hmm. be a part of leaving a footprint, you have to start saying yes. Exactly. Um, so and, and I wouldn't hear and hear to, to be honest with you. I wouldn't uh, take no for an answer from you. Trust <laughs> me. There is people who said no to me and I just did not give up and like, okay, I will talk to you. And you know, they were hesitant. And then when they met me, it's like, okay, we'll do that. I'm like, absolutely. There is a reason I'm asking people. And I would rather, you know, as I said, some people are a little close. I don't know. It's still about are you sure? I'm like, yeah, I'm sure. Because there is a message, there is a story. There is something that needs to be helped put it and elevate you to expose you to more people and mm -hmm. be the awareness of what you do and the way you're helping communities is unbelievable so i am so humbled humble you were party you were part of my podcast today it's like oh my goodness and i'm looking i will put it on my calendar to connect with you in a fall time so we can schedule some time to see where you are and how exciting uh you are on your journey but you were such a wonderful wonderful hour to be with you and i'm glad we did thank you Aww. so much no, thank the, the really the gratitude is with you uh, for inviting me and allowing me to to share and asking me the right questions so I could share in a way that I think will be impactful for others. So I appreciate you. Thank you so much. Well, to be a little secret, that's the universe asking the question, not me. I'm just a vessel. You need to understand that. A lot of people don't understand. I'm like, I'm not asking questions. The universe does. So somebody upstairs is taking a sticking over and it's like, okay, we're doing the interview today with whomever. I did not ask who, but they take their turn and they come and like, okay, we're going to interview you. And there is a reason. So I'm very happy you shared uh, your beautiful journey. And I'm looking forward for more conversation with you. Thank you so much. Thank you. Until next time. Take care.